0: tonight's reading is from Acts chapter 9 starting at verse 10 in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias the Lord called to him in a vision Ananias yes Lord he answered the Lord told him go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised and after taking some food he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus.
1: Thank you Anne very much and uh, welcome again to all of you this evening. So we're in our overall theme of Welcome, Love, Challenge, and Grow, and we're in section of challenge. And this morning, we were thinking particularly about the challenge of an active faith, and linked to that, very much linked to it, I think, is uh, what we come to this evening, with the challenge of obedience, and this very familiar story of the conversion of Saul, and particularly that section in which Ananias became involved. In a moment, I want to show you a video, and it comes from FuelCast. And uh, FuelCast is a fairly recent development whereby a number of people are recording uh, five-minute devotional talks which uh, are then being put on the website. And uh, for those who express an interest and subscribe with the link, you don't have to pay any money, uh, but uh, you can just get the link, then uh, the reminder and the link to each day's FuelCast is put into your email inbox early in the morning and uh, I received that and I've re- really appreciated listening to many of these uh, FuelCast clips. Just five minutes or thereabouts each day. And uh, the one that I want to show you tonight is uh, recorded by Amy Wearing. Now Amy was until recently Children's and Youth Minister at uh, St. Peter's Church in Worcester which is a church that a number of us have had connection with over the years. And uh, just recently, she became minister at Upton Upon Seven Baptist Church. And she's a great character and uh, a great friend to a number of us. And uh, I think her induction service last weekend was one of the most creative that I had read about. I wasn't able to go because I was uh, involved in someone else's induction last weekend, but uh, Amy started her ministry in Upton. But this was recorded while she was still in Worcester, and she reflects on the story that we've just heard.
2: Hi, and welcome to the Fuelcast. I'm Amy, a minister from Worcester, and I love Jesus. In today's reading, we hear about Saul, a religious leader who meets Jesus and his life completely changes. After this profound encounter with the risen Lord, he takes the name Paul and as we know, goes on to become a travelling missionary preaching the good news about Jesus to everyone he meets. Have you ever stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon? The size of the canyon is almost more than you can comprehend. It's difficult to see even to the other side. The chasm between Saul and Jesus in this chapter is even wider than the Grand Canyon, yet Saul's life was radically changed when he saw Jesus for who he really is. The before and after in Saul's life was too big to miss. His life was dramatically affected by Jesus and that affected others. Nothing was the same for Saul and it would never be the same again. But there is an unsung hero in this dramatic conversation that I want to draw our attention to today. Picking up on the story in verse 10, we read. There was a disciple in Damascus by the name of Ananias. The master spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, yes master, he answered. Get up and go over to Straight Avenue and ask at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul, he's there praying. He has just had a dream in which he saw a man named Ananias enter the house and lay hands on him so that he could see again. Ananias protested, Muster, you cannot be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he's been doing. His reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he's shown up here with papers from the chief priests that give him a license to do the same to us. But the master said, don't argue, go. I have picked him as my personal representative to non-Jews and kings and Jews. And now I'm about to show him what he's in for, the hard suffering that goes with this job. So Ananias went and found the house, placed his hands on the blind Saul and said, brother Saul, the master has sent me the same Jesus you saw on your way here. He sent me so that you could see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. No sooner as the words were out of his mouth that something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got to his feet, was baptized and sat down with them to a hearty meal. Now we don't have any indication that Ananias had any special education or training. We don't know if he was young or old. We don't know what he did for a living or what his family was like. We have no idea whether he was a man of great or little standing in his community. We only know that he was a follower of Jesus, just a regular disciple that was ready when the Lord called his name. Ananias, yes master, he answered. At which God asks Ananias to do something that seems to him utterly foolish. Saul has form. And Ananias decides that he's gonna point this out to God. Master, you cannot be serious. Everybody's talking about this man and the terrible things he has been doing, his reign of terror against your people in Jerusalem. And now he showed up here with papers from the chief priests to give him a license to do the same to us. Even though Ananias was fully devoted to following Jesus and he was in communion with God, he still had to deal with his fears and his doubts. And at times we all have to deal with fears and doubt. And just because we have to work through those fears and doubts, the wonderful truth is that we are not disqualified from doing God's will. Ananias worked through his doubts and fears as he honestly shared with God. God did not rebuke Ananias, but reassured him of the mission to go and be a great part of this God-ordained miracle. The story of Paul's conversion is familiar. So familiar, in fact, that often we refer to a dramatic change in someone's life as a Damascus Road experience. But I love the challenge here to be the unsung hero. Mother Teresa said, not all of us can do great things but we can all do small things with great love. For each of us, as we interact with others, apprehension will kick in. We're fearful. We worry that we might not have all the right words. But day by day, God calls each of us to be someone's Ananias, pushing back the darkness and bringing in the light. Today, are you looking with expectation for who the sovereign hand of God might be leading you to?
1: So I don't need to say much after that, do I? Because that was very clear and uh, very strong. I wonder, why don't we hear more about Ananias? Uh, One reason might be because we get a bit confused because there were actually three of them in the New Testament, all in the book of Acts. There was the member of the early Christian congregation of Jerusalem who lied to the apostles Following the day of Pentecost, some Christians needed physical assistance, so a fund was set up. And other Christians could sell fields and houses and donate money to this fund. And Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, sold a field and kept some of the proceeds for themselves, which was fair enough. But then to gain more glory for themselves, they pretended to give all the proceeds to help uh, in this fund. And Peter knew what they had done exposed them as playing false to the Holy Spirit and to God and they both died that's the story of Acts chapter 5 and maybe because of that Ananias we don't take so much notice of the next Ananias which of course is the one that we're thinking about tonight the Christian disciple in Damascus a man reverend according to the law who was sent to Saul after his conversion Saul had been blinded on the road when Jesus appeared to him. So Ananias was sent to find him, to lay hands on him so that he would recover his sight and give him a commission to be God's witness and arrange for his baptism. This is the Ananias that we're thinking about this evening. There is actually a third one known for his greed and cruelty appointed by high priest, uh, appointed to high priest by King Herod the brother of Herod Agrippa I. And he was presiding at Paul's trial before the Sanhedrin in uh, around the year 56 and ordered Paul to be struck in the face. Paul reacted by this by predicting that God would repay such wrong action and referred to Ananias as a whitewashed wall. Following the Sanhedrin trial, Ananias traveled to Caesarea to press charges against Paul before the governor, Felix. That was a completely different person at the end of the book of Acts. So we got three completely different characters. And as far as I'm aware, there's no connection between them. They all belong to different times and places in the New Testament story. But the Ananias that we're thinking about this evening, the Ananias that came alongside Saul after his conversion, is a wonderful character. This disciple who was living in Damascus who had a vision and heard the Lord instructing him to go to Saul. Brother Saul, the Lord said, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you so that you may see again. It was many years later that Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts 26 verse 19 in his testimony, he said, I was not disobedient To the heavenly vision. In a much quieter and simpler way, right back at Saul's conversion, it was Ananias who could have said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Because in that vision, God had spoken to him and had opened up the task for him to go and speak to Saul. And he had come up with all kinds of reasons why that should happen not be appropriate. But he went. He went in obedience to the call of God. He was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. And when he met with Saul, despite all his personal reservations about this person, all that he'd heard about him, all that he was anxious about him in the way that he could potentially have uh, destroyed the Christian community in Damascus, he believed what he'd heard in the vision that God had spoken to Saul. And so he came to him and he said, Brother Saul, embraced him. The Lord has sent me to you. That took courage. That took obedience. It was a simple act. It wasn't a very public one either. But it was such an important one. And Amy drew out in her commentary on this story the amazing way in which Ananias heard and responded to the call of God. And in that moment, his complete obedience in carrying out what seems such a dangerous task. So this morning we had the challenge of an active faith. Like Peter and John, we were thinking of Peter and John uh, who healed the lame man by the beautiful gate in the temple. And that courage and boldness that God wants to give to us so that we have an active faith. The challenge of an active faith. And this evening, the challenge of obedience. As we have another example, really, of active faith in the person of Ananias. So what is this challenge of obedience for us today? That's really the key question that I want to home in on for the next few moments. What is the challenge of obedience for us today? If we take Ananias as an example of someone who was obedient to the heavenly vision, who heard God calling and who answered by going to Saul and laying hands on him as God had asked, it was an act of obedience. What is the challenge of obedience for us today? It's unusual to draw definitions from Wikipedia, but in this instance, I think Wikipedia gives us some good words about obedience in a general sense. Obedience in human behavior is a form of social influence in which the person yields to explicit instructions or orders from an authority figure. Obedience is generally distinguished from compliance, which is behavior that's influenced by peers, or from conformity, which is behavior intended to match that of the the majority. If you're going along with the majority, that's conformity. If you're going along with peers, that is compliance. But if you're responding to someone who is in authority, that is obedience. If you Google the word obedience and just look at images, see what comes up, Interesting that many of them link to Bible verses. Now, there are other contexts, of course, in which obedience is important, but it's often thought of in a religious sense. Let's go to the other context, first of all, for a moment. There are ways in life where we need to be obedient. Obedience in driving, in following the highway code, and the consequences, if you do not, follow the Highway Code, obedience in paying taxes and keeping up with your tax returns and so on, and the consequences if you do not. Obedience with regard to all the laws of the land, many of which are very complex but very important, and the consequences if you do not follow that. Obedience to whatever regulations might belong to a particular place of employment or a particular occupation, and those in authority within that context expect certain requirements. Obedience in the rules of sport, to play to the game. Obedience in family life, where boundaries and requirements are put into place. And in each of those cases, there is some kind of authority figure, whether it is the state, the employer, the referee, the parent, some element of authority and some element of obedience that is required. So in what sense is there an authority that is imposed on us in our Christian journey and what kind of obedience needs to come out? For some people, it's the church that is an authoritarian structure, and there are some structures of church where there is that authority, as it were, from the top downwards. One might think particularly of the Roman Catholic Church, with the authority of the Pope, and that how that is invested then through other people in a, almost a chain of command. Other expressions of church, like our own is here, much more congregational than authoritarian, and so whilst we ask for a response. To leadership, we do not impose authority in the same way. Rather, in our understanding of church, authority rests with Jesus Christ. And our obedience is to him. And just as Ananias heard the word of the Lord and was obedient to what God said, that is the same place that we are called to be. And so Jesus says, of course, in Matthew 28:20, 20, right at the end of the gospel before his ascension, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you because the authority rests with Jesus. In Philippians 2, that wonderful passage in which uh, the humility of Jesus is so clearly described. Uh, Towards the end of that passage, for this reason, God has exalted him and given him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the book of Revelation, 11 and verse 15, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. So the authority figure for the Christian is Jesus Christ. He is the one who has the name above all names to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. So our obedience is to him. And we're called to live an active faith in Jesus. And out of that will come a willing obedience. So God may speak to us in a vision as he did to Ananias. And Ananias felt very strongly what God was saying. He knew what God was saying. Go to this man Saul. And everything within Ananias said, no, I can't do that. But in the end, he knew he had to go because the authority was from God and he was in the place of obedience. God may speak through words of Scripture. And as we hear and read those words and know their truth and know their power, we have to live by what they are saying. I recall myself hearing a sermon quite recently, just before... uh, Christmas last year which was incredibly powerful because there was just a particular section of scripture that kind of stood out to me so strongly and I knew I had to hear that word and I knew I had to act on it and actually I've been living with that for quite a long while since and undoubtedly it has been so key to the last few months where God speaks through the words of Scripture, and we have to obey. God may speak through the challenge of preaching. I would never be here myself were it not for the preaching of someone else. When as a teenager, as I was hearing those words, all set to go and study maths at university with a view to an actuarial career, and God turned that round on a particular day, at a particular time, when a sermon spoke to me so powerfully that the Holy Spirit took that word and I knew that I had to do something about it. And not to do something about it would have been a complete disobedience to the heavenly vision. God may speak through the words of a friend. And somehow in that conversation, you just hear the words of God through the words of someone else. There are different ways in which God speaks to us. But when that voice speaks, when that word comes, when we sense that from the authority of God, we are being called to take a different direction, to take a particular action, to step forward, maybe to come alongside a particular person, to rise to a particular question, Whatever the specific action where God is stirring your heart, you know you have to do it. And Ananias put up excuses. Moses, in the Old Testament, put up a great string of excuses about not speaking to Pharaoh. And many other examples of people who have hesitated when God has spoken. And we'll sometimes do that. I know I've done it. But ultimately, the authority belongs to Jesus. And he is speaking. And when he speaks, God is calling you and I to a place of obedience. Because the kingdom in the kingdom of God, Jesus is the king. I cannot say exactly what God is saying to you tonight about how you develop your life and faith at this moment in time. And I don't know what's been going on in your mind in the last few days, what has already happened in your heart and mind today. But God is calling us to an active faith as we were speaking about this morning. God is calling us to a life of obedience as he speaks to us. And all I ask is that you might place yourself where you are listening to God And as he speaks, so you will respond and not be disobedient to that heavenly vision.